following is a Galactic Digital Studios production. Unlike Ben Simmons, I actually showed up prepared and ready to go today. And unlike Deion Sanders, I won't blow this one. Sorry, Prime. Gotta wear that L. This is Sports Central, part of the Closing Tag Network. I am Raul Smith, Head of Development and... Hold on. Oh, okay, we're good. Sorry. Technical issues. Uh, I am Raul Smith, Head of Development and Design over at Galactic Digital Studios. If you are wanting video editing, logo design, graphic design, web development, or SEO services for your small business, check us out at galacticdigitalstudios.com. Galactic Digital Studios, out of this world service at down-to-earth prices, and no train not included. Yeah. I want to thank everybody that helped make last week's episode so enjoyable. There's a lot that I want to get into today, so let's just dive right in. So anybody that knows me, knows my football tendencies, know that there are two teams that I'm not exactly a fan of that I really can't stand. Three, if you count college football's Alabama Crimson Tide. Those two teams are the Dallas Cowboys and the Denver Broncos. To be fair to Dallas, it's not that I'm not a fan of the fan of the franchise in general. Some of my all-time favorite players were Cowboys at one point or another. Staubach, Emmett, Primetime. It's the current owner of the Cowboys, Jerry Jones, that I'm not a fan of. But that's another topic for another time. Anytime I get to dunk on the Denver Broncos for being a complete embarrassment is great for me. I, I find a very unhealthy amount of joy in it. But even in their current state, this is too much, even for me. The Broncos are one in five. That's one win to five losses. And if not for the Carolina Panthers, who I'll get to later, the Broncos have the inside track on the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. But fear not, Broncos fans. There are still 12 weeks left in the season as of this recording. Plenty of time to get that top draft pick. And unfortunately, there's no one single thing that's identifiable enough to be the main source of the problem. The defense is an absolute shit show. The coaching is just absolutely atrocious and the offense has no spark whatsoever. I'm gonna rattle off some names, do a little experiment here. And I want you to think about what they all have in common. You ready? I mean, aside from the fact that they're all athletes. Johnny Unitas, Joe Namath, Emmett Smith, Ladanian Tomlinson, Tony Dorsett, Franco Harris. I'm going to throw some basketball names at you as well. Patrick Ewing, Hakeem Olajuwon, Carl Malone. What's the one common denominator involved with all of those names, aside from the fact that they're all pro athletes? They're all legendary athletes. Yes, 
but they also gained a lot of fan admiration and critical acclaim with just one team. Now I'm going to rattle those same names off, but with a twist. Johnny Unitas, San Diego Chargers quarterback. Joe Namath, Los Angeles Rams quarterback. Emmett Smith, Arizona Cardinals running back. Ladanian Tomlinson, New York Jets running back. Tony Dorsett, Denver Broncos running back. Franco Harris, Seattle Seahawks running back. You have no idea how much that killed me. Patrick Ewing, Seattle Supersonics center. Hakeem Olajuwon, Toronto Raptors center. Carl Malone, Los Angeles Lakers forward. Now the common denominator with those same athletes, but with that little twist, is that yes, they garnered a lot of accolades and admiration with just one team, but then they moved to another team in hopes of gaining more acclaim and more admiration, but instead greatly damaged their legacy, be it through disappointing play or injury. And unfortunately, I am seeing the early signs of the same thing about to be said about Denver Broncos quarterback, Russell Wilson. Now, don't get it twisted. Russell Wilson, by all accounts, is actually having a decent season. Certainly better than last season. But here's the problem. Denver is not paying Russell Wilson $49 million this season alone and $296 million over seven years to play decent. You don't typically pay somebody that kind of money for average. You typically pay that kind of money for a pro bowler like Patrick Mahomes, like Brock Purdy, like back in his day, Tom Brady. Certainly not somebody that's only marginally better than C.J. Stroud. And by the way, count me in as a huge C.J. Stroud guy. I'm really impressed with him so far. But that's the thing. If you're 35 and only slightly ahead of a rookie in quarterback rating, that's not good. And I know the Russ heads will come in and say, Russ isn't the problem, it's the defense. And to an extent, you're right. Like I said, Russell Wilson isn't the problem in Denver, but his underwhelming play over the last season and a third is a problem. And like I said at the top of the show, Denver's defense is absolute dog shit. Listen to these stats. As of week six, heading into week seven, as of this recording, Denver's defense has allowed more points, more total yards, more passing touchdowns, more net yards gained per pass attempt, and more rushing yards by a significant margin than anybody else in the league. The 
second most allowed by a defense in the league is only 149 yards behind the Broncos. So there's that. The Broncos are second in the league in first downs allowed, passing yards allowed, and passing first downs allowed. They also lead the league in defensive penalties committed and yards resulting from those defensive penalties. The only defense that is on par right now with the Broncos for how dreadful they are is the New York Giants. This tells me that the defensive breakdown is the result, in my opinion, of terrible coaching. And by the way, the Broncos know it. Defensive coordinator Vance Joseph, who should just automatically be blackballed from ever coaching, getting a coaching opportunity in the probes again, has had to come out numerous times to defend the players, stating that they're good enough to be a good team. Well, if it's not a talent issue or a player issue, then the only logical conclusion is that it's a coaching issue. And word has it that the Broncos may be looking to replace Vance Joseph with somebody far more qualified to be a defensive coach. Rex Ryan. I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if Rex Ryan even wants the job. That's interesting to think about. But in my opinion, the coaching issues have to start and end with one man. Head coach Sean Payton. Peyton, who won a Super Bowl in New Orleans, has been the target of a lot of teams over the years, and Denver was finally able to convince the Saints to trade Peyton to them. In return, New Orleans got last season's 29th overall pick, as well as a second and fourth round pick for this coming up uh, NFL draft. If And you knew, you knew that it was going to be tumultuous in Denver when Sean Payton denied Russell Wilson's request to have his personal trainer in the Broncos training facility during the offseason. But it's not just Russ that he's lost. Practically the entire team has already tuned him out, and it's only been six games. And since we talked at length about the defense, it is equally fair to point out that the Broncos are tied for fourth in the league on offense in turnovers, and second in fumbles lost. As for the penalties on the defensive side, the offense is committing a fair amount as well. They rank sixth in the league in penalties committed that were accepted and fifth in percentage of drives that end in a turnover. So with this many problems across the board, one has to wonder if the Denver Broncos will ever see daylight again. And I gotta say, right now, one guy that is looking smarter and smarter by the day, Pete Carroll. And I want to formally apologize to Pete Carroll for all the things that I've said over the, over the last couple of years. He saw that Russell Wilson's ability to create plays without using his mobility resembles a little bit like Russell Westbrook's. And he got as much as he could from the guy from a team that was desperate to upgrade at the position. And regardless of how many memes you see on social media, with all due respect to Drew Locke, 
I don't know if even with all the problems from last season, you can call Russell Wilson anything but an upgrade at the quarterback position over Drew Locke. I mean, there's being a decent quarterback and then there's being an, a former pro bowler. Yeah. But I and many other Seahawks fans owe Pete Carroll a sincere apology. After the Broncos, if I'm the Walton family, I clean house today. Fire everybody from the general manager all the way down to the water boys on the sidelines. Spare no one. Hell, with their notorious reputation, I'm a little surprised that it hasn't happened already. I mean, then again, I guess mediocrity and lack of quality control should be expected trademarks from the people that own Walmart. By the way, this needs to be said. Walmart sucks. Their quality is subpar. Their business practices are the epitome of everything that's wrong in this country right now. And if I can get what I need for a reasonable rate somewhere else, I will. Every time. Fuck Walmart. Now, since we're on the topic of terrible football teams, let's explore the last remaining winless team as of this recording in the NFL, the Carolina Panthers. Heading into week seven, the Panthers are 0-6. That's zero wins, six losses. Five teams are also near the bottom of the rankings at one win each and five losses each. Those five teams are the aforementioned Broncos, the Chicago Bears, the Arizona Cardinals, the New York Giants, and the New England Patriots. And make no mistake, the tank for Caleb is real, regardless of what you've heard about him wanting partial ownership from whatever team drafts him. Seemingly the only team not fully invested in tanking for the top overall pick is the one team that may end up winding or may wind up getting it. The Carolina Panthers. Now it is early. There are still 12 weeks left to go as of this recording, and a lot can happen in that time. But early indications are, if the early indications are to be believed, the Panthers have a really good shot at that number one pick. One slight problem with that scenario, they don't even own that pick. Wherever Carolina winds up in the standings, that first round pick automatically goes to the Chicago Bears as a result of a trade between the two teams. Back in March, the Bears traded the number one overall pick in last season's NFL draft, which would then be used to draft Alabama quarterback Bryce Young, to Carolina for wide receiver DJ Moore, the ninth overall pick, which would then be flipped to the Eagles for future considerations, the 61st overall pick, and the Panthers' first round pick for this coming season, as well as their second round pick for next season. 
Now, it is important to note that the one quarterback from this class that has been absolutely been killing it so far this season, the aforementioned C.J. Stroud, was taken one pick after the Panthers. So close, Carolina. So close. Now, in fairness, Chicago at the time still wanted to give beleaguered young quarterback Justin Fields a chance to develop. Except one tiny problem with that. Hard to develop a quarterback when the offensive line is blocking each other as opposed to the defense. So there's that. And he has shown signs of improvement. But make no mistake, when you have the chance at a franchise-making quarterback in the draft, you take it. There hasn't been this sure of a college prospect at quarterback since Peyton Manning. And dare I say, he did rather nicely for himself. He did all right. Yeah. Justin Fields is not that guy. That's painfully obvious right now. Bryce Young, with all due respect, was never going to be that guy. C.J. Stroud may not even be that guy. Time will tell on him. Anthony Richardson, who is currently recovering from shoulder surgery and will likely not play again this season, is looking more and more like he's not going to be that guy, which is disappointing to say the least. I really like that guy. The Giants are quickly finding out that Daniel Jones is not that guy. The Patriots are just now realizing that Mac Jones is not that guy. Russell Wilson was supposed to be that guy in Denver like he was in Seattle, but clearly he is not. And there was a very brief time, laughable as it sounds right now, where Arizona quarterback Kyler Murray looked like he was going to be that guy. But then reality hit and the Cardinals have been trying to get rid of him ever since. Now, why do I bring all this up? Because Caleb Williams of USC looks like he's going to be that guy. He's got the intelligence. He's got the arm. He's got the confidence if he's demanding partial ownership. He's got command of his offensive line and his receivers. And he's got the mobility. If there's ever a guy to come out of USC that could very well be the top quarterback in the National Football League, Caleb Williams is it. Better than Matt Leinert. Better than Carson Palmer. I'll, I'll put that out there right now. Every team in the NFL is always looking for a complete package type of guy like Caleb Williams. And right now, five such teams are in prime position to either get him or fall just short. Through six games, the only two teams that have scored under 80 points in the entire NFL have been the Giants and the Patriots. The Pittsburgh Steelers have only 79 points, but they've also only played five games. Yay for bye weeks. The only two teams with six games played and under 1,600 total yards have been the Cincinnati Bengals and the New York Giants. Three teams are tied for fourth in the league in turnovers lost. 
those three teams are the Patriots, the Bears, and the Broncos. Now, here's the stat that kills me. Only six teams in the league have scored on less than 30% of their offensive drives so far this season. The Atlanta Falcons, the Carolina Panthers, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New York Giants, and the New England Patriots. The Patriots, still as if it's a recording, coached by Bill Belichick, that may change in the next week, have only scored on 18% of their offensive drives. So less than one out of every five times the Patriots have the ball on offense, they score at least a field goal or if not a touchdown. That to me is just wild. This used to be a juggernaut, an offensive juggernaut. Not so much anymore. Hmm. Makes you wonder if Tom Brady really was, you know, the brains behind the operation. In fact, they turned the ball over on 15.5% of their offensive drives. The only teams that turned the ball over more frequently have been the Denver Broncos, the, since the Chicago Bears, the Cleveland Browns, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Las Vegas Raiders. And to make matters worse, the Patriots are the worst team in football on converting on fourth down. Out of 10 attempts so far this season, the Patriots have only converted on fourth down twice. Twice. Two times. Guess that movie reference. Easily the worst conversion percentage in the league. Now, in fairness, the Patriots have done a great job in getting a score when in the red zone, cashing in on seven of their 10 trips. But that 10 trips is also the second lowest amount in the league behind the Steelers. Switching to defense. The four worst teams in the league in allowing points are the Washington Commanders or the Redskins or the Washington football team, whatever you want to call them, the Chicago Bears, the Carolina Panthers, and the Denver Broncos. The four worst teams in allowing total yards in the league are the Broncos, the Giants, the Cardinals, and Washington. The Patriots have the fewest takeaways in the league with just three. The Panthers are only one of two teams so far to not cause a turnover by fumble. The other being the, the Las Vegas Raiders. That still feels weird to say. I'm so used to calling them Oakland. The four worst teams in allowing passing yards have been the Commanders, the Bears, the Broncos, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Washington, Chicago, and Denver are the only teams so far to allow more than 11 passing touchdowns this season. And that rushing stat that I mentioned earlier with the Broncos defense, here's some mind-bending numbers for you. Denver has allowed 1,034 rushing yards so far through six games. The Giants have allowed the second most at 885. The Panthers are third worst at 866. 
and only three teams in the league have allowed a score defensively on more than 45% of the opposing offense's drives. Those three teams are Washington, Denver, and Arizona. Now, the big reason why Washington is not in the conversation right now for tanking for Caleb Williams is the fact that they have three wins and three losses. As bad as their defense has been, their offense has picked up the slack. And as bad as Vegas and Cleveland have been on offense, their defense has stepped up tremendously. And a big reason why Minnesota isn't in the conversation is simple. Their only two wins have been against Chicago and Carolina. Now, looking ahead at the schedule, the following games are going to be of very high interest for what I call Caleb Watch. Vegas and Chicago this coming week. Washington versus the Giants. The battle for New York in, in week eight between the Giants and the Jets. Week nine matchup between Washington and New England. Week nine between Indianapolis and Carolina. Since Anthony Richardson is out, it'll be very interesting if the Colts actually show up for that one. Week 10 in London between Chicago and Carolina, or what I like to call Caleb Bowl. Minnesota versus Denver in week 11. New England versus the Giants in week 12. Chicago versus Minnesota rematch on Monday Night Football help us all in week 12. Chicago and Cleveland in week 15. Arizona and Chicago in week 16. And New England versus Denver on Christmas Eve in week seven in week 16. Just quick glancing at the individual schedules for each team. It's not outside the realm of possibility to see the top five picks in the draft coming up to fall like this. Denver, Chicago, Chicago by proxy of Carolina, Arizona, and New England. Not in that particular order. The Chicago Bears could realistically wind up with two of the top five picks in the NFL draft, including the first overall pick, depending on how the algorithms turn out. I wonder if they can coach better offensive line coaching or draft better offensive line coaching. I didn't say that. Another thing to keep in mind with these teams... I would not expect the coaches in those respective markets to sit too comfortably. I mentioned Belichick. There's already reports that Robert Kraft is looking to fire him. There's a very realistic possibility based on the reports that I've read that the Walton family could be done with Sean Payton after this season. So could we see Sean Payton on the sidelines in Foxborough next season? Could we see Bill Belichick patrolling the sidelines at mile high? By the way, if that were to happen, I would expect nothing less than a full-scale riot from Raiders fans. Raiders fans still to this day do not like Bill Belichick. Tuck rule, am I right?
A quick friendly reminder to check out the blogs that I write occasionally on theclosingtag.com. That's theclosingtag.com, including the one that I wrote about the Damian Lillard trade. Just go to the upper right corner and you'll see either a hamburger menu or the network tab. Go to the network tab, select which blog you want to catch up on, and off you go. Also, you will see a donate button next to the network tab. I may not do this as a full-time job, but every little bit will help secure better equipment, better soundproofing, just things in general. Remember to put the the in front, no spaces. That's theclosingtag.com, theclosingtag.com. We will begin the process of uploading archived videos or archived episodes from YouTube in the coming weeks. So by the time you hear this episode, the 2023-2024 NBA season will likely either be close to or already underway. And this season surely has its share of already of great storylines. I mentioned the Lillard trade. How will Damon Giannis pair up in Milwaukee? Will the addition of Chris Paul be exactly what the doctor ordered in Golden State? Can the Denver Broncos repeat? Can Boston make its way back to the Eastern Conference Finals with a team of Tatum, Brown, KP, and Drew Holiday? How will Miami fare this time around? How will how long will Embiid and Harden last in Philadelphia? And more importantly, how long before Doc Rivers gets shit-canned? How long before New York fires Tom Thibodeau? Because you know it's coming. It happens every time with this guy. Are KD and Bradley Beal enough to put Phoenix over the hump? Is time running out in LA for both the Lakers and the Clippers? Will Cleveland's crop of young talent finally put it together? Is Sacramento for real or are they just a one-hit wonder? How much of an impact will Victor Wembanyama have in San Antonio? All of these are great storylines, no doubt. But the one I'm most interested in watching unfold, I'll be honest for biased reasons, is the Utah Jazz. After trading their cornerstones last season in Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and relieving head coach Quinn Snyder of his duties, Danny Ainge wasted little time in hitting the reset button in Utah. However, a funny thing happened last season that I'm not sure gets talked about enough. The Utah Jazz were actually pretty good, by all accounts. By Christmas time last season, the team had accrued a 19-16 record and were firmly in the playoff picture. By the end of January, they were evened out at 26 and 26. However, they would only win 11 of their last 30 games. Now, why is that? Why the sudden drop off? Well, while rookie head coach Will Hardy and jazz management won't admit it outright for fear of penalties levied from Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, it was tanking. 
every team that wasn't firmly in the playoff picture was looking at to better their chances of landing the surest NBA prospect since LeBron James, Victor Wembanyama. I mentioned this in the blog post that I mentioned about Damian Lillard, how Portland did the same thing. Funny how if the Jazz had basically told Donovan Mitchell the same thing, that they probably would have gotten like a hundred million dollar fine or some ridiculous bullshit. Yet Portland does it to Dame and nothing. Shows, shows how much bullshit the NBA rules are. It also helped the Jazz's cause that they had two other first round picks coming in as a result as a result of previous trades. They had their own pick at number nine, the 16th pick as a result of Rudy Gobert being traded to Minnesota, and the 28th pick as a result of a trade with the Brooklyn Nets that sent Royce O'Neal to Brooklyn back in June, 2022. So just how good can this Jazz team be potentially? I'm going to break it down for you. First, you have head coach Will Hardy. I've always been a belief of the belief that if you're going to fire a head coach in the NBA, you better make sure the guy you're bringing in is going to be a potential upgrade. And with all due respect, I don't think Doc Rivers or Stan Van Gundy were ever going to be upgrades to Quinn Snyder, even with all of his faults. Will Hardy, however, even though he's only in the second season and he's only 35 years of age, has proven to be exactly what a young rebuilding team needed. It also helped that he learned a lot during his time as an assistant coach in Boston under Imi Udoka. Then you have last year's most improved player, Laurie Markkanen. The guy is a sharpshooter as well as a playmaker and definitely showed it off last season. He became the de facto uh, offensive leader for this team. Likewise, the defensive leader has become Walker Kessler. Many, myself included, were skeptical of just how bad the defense was going to fall off after the Gobert trade. Kessler, however, has done more than enough to make sure that the landing was a little bit softer than anticipated. And dare I say, Walker Kessler at age 22, I know this is going to sound like blasphemy to some people, Walker Kessler at age 22 may actually be a better all-around defensive player than Rudy Gobert was at 22. If he can develop in the same manner that Gobert did, the sky's the limit. Jordan Clarkson is back. There was a question as to whether or not Clarkson would be back with this Jazz team this season, but he's here. Clarkson can provide a good veteran presence with this young team. Colin Sexton has also come back after an offseason of questions surrounding his status. Acquired in the Donovan Mitchell trade, Sexton was instrumental in holding down the fort at the point guard position after beloved veteran Mike Conley was traded. He's serviceable enough in his ability, and, but he won't blow you away with stats. That's probably the one thing Jazz fans are not going to like. 
returning young players like, forgive me for butchering these names, Simone Fontecchio and Ochai Obaji, as well as Chris Dunn, provide a good solid foundation for the bench. Then there's Kelly Olenek. Anyway, those are the returning players. Let's talk about who I feel are the key acquisitions for the team. Let's first talk about the two of the three draft picks, Taylor Hendricks and Keontae George. Many are calling Hendricks the steal of the draft. In college, Hendricks was a capable shooter and scorer from the power forward position. A stretch four capable of defending on the perimeter is almost essential in today's NBA. Hendricks brings that and more to the Jazz, though I suspect he'll spend a lot of time on the bench early on. I'll get to why here in a minute. Keontae George will also likely be spending time on the bench behind Sexton and Clarkson. George was a pivotal part of Baylor's success and is capable of creating his own shot. Now, the one thing that might be a detriment to him is that at six foot four, he's a little bit undersized at the two guard spot defensively. I mean, where have we heard that before? But if he can develop a consistent outside shot, I think he's got a chance to be something special for this team. Which leads me to the biggest reason why I'm excited for this Jazz team. On July 7, 2023, the Utah Jazz traded polarizing veteran Rudy Gay and a 2026 second round pick to the Atlanta Hawks for John Collins. Yes, that John Collins. In a cost-cutting move, Atlanta decided to part ways with Collins after signing Clint Capella to a contract extension. I cannot express enough how much Jazz fans have been clamoring for the Jazz to get this guy for years. Now granted, he's not LeBron, he's not Giannis, he's not even an all-star right now. But I feel like the guy is a game changer for this Jazz team. Maybe not in a Carl Malone, Charles Oakley type of way, but in terms of his leadership, I think he's got a lot of potential as a part of a young front court with Kessler and Laurie. This is why I mentioned earlier that Hendricks is likely going to be spending a significant amount of time early on coming off the bench. No way you're starting Taylor Hendricks with all due respect to Taylor. Great player, great guy. You're not starting him over Laurie or Kessler or Collins. But with their tutelage and their mentorship. I feel Hendricks has the ability to one day be mentioned in that same category with those guys, similar to how Paul Millsap grew into his role after Carlos Boozer left. Now, for all the reasons I mentioned at the top of the season or segment, I have no delusions of grandeur for this Jazz team. Will they win a championship in 2024? Not a chance. Will they make the Western Conference Finals in 2024? Eh, not likely. But can this team make the playoffs as a sixth seed and give Phoenix or LA or Golden State hell in the first round? I 
I think they can. Or at the very least, the plan. While the rest of the league can talk all they want, and with good reason, about the Nuggets, or the Warriors, or the Suns, or the Lakers, or even the Kings, at West, do not sleep on the Utah Jazz. By the way, Jazz fans and State of Utah, this does not mean we're good. I still haven't forgiven you for what happened. Change the racist, religiously diminutive culture in the state, then we can talk. And don't hit my email or my mentions or my DMs about, oh, it's not all of us. No fucking shit, Sherlock. I realize that. But maybe, just maybe, instead of just saying it's not all of us or saying I never experienced this, employ your neighbor or your friend or your brother to do better. Only by acknowledging there's a problem do we begin the process of correcting said problem. Denying it or sweeping it under the rug only prolongs the inevitable. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the NBA season. And remember, I was right about Kyrie Irving being a terrible addition to any team all along. And yes, I am going to continue rubbing that in. I want to thank everybody for watching and listening to the podcast. You'll be happy to know that we got the issues worked out just in time with Apple Podcasts. So now the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Facebook, and YouTube. As I mentioned last week, Google Podcasts is going away in mid-2024, but since the show is already on YouTube, that will not be an issue. Also programming note, expect an entertainment pod this coming Wednesday and a life hack pod on Friday. I'm really excited about this one. I think you will be too. Thank you again for watching and listening and downloading and donating and doing all the things to help the podcast. It means a great deal to me. And as always, remember to include, why is that not working? There we go. Remember to include your closing tags. This has been a Galactic Digital Studios production.